0: Welcome to the Broadcasters Roundtable, here on Flyers Radio
1: 24-7. Well, if it's the start of a new era in Flyers history, they're going all in. Changes have happened, more are most certainly coming, and the remake of this team is underway with our latest Broadcasters Roundtable. Tim Saunders, Jim Jackson, Brian Smith, and Jason Mertides. So, guys, a few weeks since Danny Briere. Had the interim tag removed, so he's the full-time GM and uh, has already made a splash. We'll talk a little bit about Danny. Keith Jones introduced as the president of Hockey Operations, and together uh, with John Tortorella, they've put the future of this team in the hands of uh, a uniquely qualified triumvirate uh, that's going to be really interesting to see how this works moving forward we'll start with Jimmy because he was your partner did you have any inkling that this was Saw on the horizon? all the time
0: knew it <laughs> last last roundtable I knew it was happening I just couldn't say anything no I had no idea at all he was uh very quiet about it I mean I don't even think Danny knew it was Jonesy for sure until the night before right. so uh obviously they kept this very quiet he it's the old thing, though, when you look back and I think about some things that were happening with him. You
1: mean when he went off the radar for about two weeks?
0: Well, that too. And even when we were having dinner, a couple of conversations late in the year, it it just seemed too um, almost uh, like he was saying (laughs) some things to me. And I just didn't at the time. I was too wrapped up and I didn't have any idea. But now looking at it, I think it's a great choice. And I I hear a lot of people, you know, some of the, the haters out there, the naysayers saying, well, a guy goes from... TV to that position, what's that? There's nobody, you know this, Timmy, tied in more than Jonesy. We go into buildings, and the GMs search him out. Right? You know, Joe Sackick looks to find him, Ken Holland, uh, Jim Rutherford. They look for him uh, because they know he's so tied in. He's seen all the players, and, and so he is as tied in as anybody outside of maybe an ex-GM could be for that job. So I think very qualified, as is Danny, because Danny did everything that he could possibly do when, when it comes to getting himself prepared for this since his playing days. Um, again, outside of uh, being an ex-GM, I think he's done everything he could do. So I think they're very qualified, love their, their idea. I think what Flyer fans have wanted here over the last two or three years in particular is a plan and a plan that they follow. And these two clearly have the plan. They've already showed us, uh, I think, in their first big move that they're going to to stick to that plan. And I think the fans are going to be excited because we're going to watch this thing build. I don't think they're building from the ground up. I think there's already some good pieces here, so it's not like completely right down to the hubs. But I think you're looking at uh, a rebuild that has uh, has, uh, the fans'
1: base, for the most part, excited. Going from the broadcast booth to the president's chair, that's... Happened before. It's not like this is the first time it's ever. him, John Davidson comes to mind.
2: Yeah, and I'll be going to the you know to the president's chair next year in some role. <laughs> well, uh, there yeah. goes the plan. <laughs>
0: there goes that plan. I was just talking. Yeah. About.
2: yeah well, there goes the plan. But um, no, uh, JD did do that, and you know he was a national broadcaster like Jonesy. Great at articulating an organizational message, and I think the thing of, that Jonesy shares with JD as well is the ability to make everybody feel good about where they are, and. You know, Jonesy's a guy that, you know, you love being around him. And like J.J. said, you know, other GMs seek him out, but they seek him out also because of his hockey prowess. And don't let Jonesy fool you with the jokes and the morning show personality with Ang and all that. There's a highly intelligent, not just hockey person there, but there's a highly intelligent individual.
0: Dumb like a fox.
2: Yeah, and, and he's a guy, too, that grinds. I mean, I worked with him early in his radio career. He came in for three years and didn't get paid to pave his way. Um, he's self-made as a broadcaster, and he was self-made as a player. If you've read his book, despite the gra- grammatical errors, um, you'll <laughs> that see that. That was fault. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that's who he blames it on. But uh, he is a guy that I think will be great at bringing people together, and I think that that's what he does, and he'll keep it light when it needs to be light, but he knows when to be serious too. Um, and as far as Danny goes uh, – he went through every step of the process. Not many former players that made the kind of dough that Danny made are going to go back to school yeah. and, you know, learn some of the elements that he needed to learn from a business standpoint. Um, he was in player development. He, he's in rinks all over North America and the world for that matter. Um, you know, he ran an ECHL team. There's not a lot of glory in that part, right? And everybody's got to start somewhere. Everybody, somebody doesn't have experience until you do. Yeah. And I look at guys like Chris Drury very in that Danny Ilk. I look at Mike Greer out in San Jose. There's a lot of guys in his age range with their first jobs and they have a big task at hand. And do not underestimate him because he will carve you up. He is as competitive as they come. He's the nicest gentleman I've ever covered in my thirty years in this business. But I have no illusions that he is not going to be a very difficult GM for other teams to deal Smitty, with.
1: Smitty, he said it right off the bat, that he will articulate
3: the organization's message
1: and make sure everybody's on the same page. Right. That's the first strength, I think, he brings.
3: And that's kind of the role that he was brought in to fill. It's probably not what a lot of people think of traditionally as, as a president of hockey operations is overseeing you know what everybody is doing in terms of building a team. His his role is to come in here and to link the two sides and he's been around the two sides for 23 years now Um, you know he's been involved obviously on television but um, you know when when there's when when you're doing that, you're also coming in and you're being around the day to day, especially on game days. But you're in some meetings and stuff with the business side and trying to get their goals and and things like that. So you know he he brings that understanding to it, and you know, you know we're, we're all part of it. I mean you know in in the broadcast world we get we get access that the rest of the media don't. We get to, to have chats with coaches and GMs and things like that, and you know that's the kind of thing for me that that is a little bit under the radar that he brings to this role is that he's made all these connections through things like that. He's watched so many games from ice level over these past, uh, you know, 20 years, in addition to to working with you upstairs. Um, So he's got uh, a view of the current NHL that very few other people, I think, have. If
1: you go to games enough, as a fan, you'll see this, and, you know, warm-ups happen the same time, they go through all the same drills. And so if you're not really paying attention, they all kind of blend into mm-hmm. each other. You and I as play-by-play guys are looking at different things, doing memorization work before the game gets started. But he, you said on many occasions that he'll – Pick things out of just a warm up that the rest of us are oblivious to.
0: A lot of times when we were on the road, Jonesy was somewhere else and he joined us, so he couldn't get to the morning skate. But those times when he got to the morning skate, I would always make sure I was sitting next to him because it's amazing. A little thing in how a guy is skating, he can tell whether an injury is acting up or not. He can tell whether a guy is having fun, he's enjoying himself, he can tell whether he's into it. Uh, Morning skate. Even, the as you said, the pregame skate. So, yeah, he's very astute that way. Um, more astute than anybody I've ever been around. and uh, Because we all make fun sometimes of these morning skates. What do you get out of them? And a lot of times you and I don't get much out of them, outside of maybe who's playing and stuff. But if you sit next to him, you're going to get something out of that. And that's the kind of analytical mind that Jason was referring to. Uh, Jonesy loves – he has a great sense of humor. He's He's got those horrible puns. and But, I mean, he, he's a very funny guy. But don't let that sense of humor fool you because he is extremely astute, um, and that's going to come in handy for him. And I also want to say about this whole group, including Patrick and John, who have been hired on, uh, I know there's a, a belief that as a team, if you, if you get good character – in your room, you have a much better chance to win. Well, that, that I think, also applies to management. And you can't get higher character than the four people that uh, we're, we're talking about here, including, of course, Patrick Sharp and John LeClaire. But Danny and, and Jonesy, uh, as you said, Danny, just such a top-notch person, and so is Jonesy. Um, and so that bodes well, too, because
1: character still counts. You, you know, it occurs to me, the, the first big change to get this back on the right track was the Tortorella hiring, right? But it was interesting to see the communication between Torts, Danny, and Jonesy. I think there's a mutual respect there that is going to bode well for the whole organization.
3: Yeah, no doubt about yeah, that. It kinda it kinda struck me a little bit as the year went on is you know, again, not to have like a GM coach role, but uh, you know, Torts is is as close to a a GM type character as you get on a bench, I think, that you would get in this this NHL because he's made it clear he has no desire to be a general manager. He wants to be at ice level. He doesn't even like to be in the press box for a game, much less be up there all the time. But um, you know, from, from the bench perspective, he has a dead set on idea of what he wants on the roster and what's going to help him be successful and help his staff be successful. And so to have that input from that level, as well as, you know, the connections that Jonesy brings and things like that. I mean, I, I'm really excited about the whole group, as you said, that's, uh, you know, that, that's being assembled here. And again, all of them coming in from kind of different backgrounds. I mean, I know, I know John's been... Doing that three on three thing, but past that, I don't know what, too much about what he's been doing. Patrick has been was doing some development and then got into broadcast a little bit, but uh, it's going to be a lot of f- fresh perspectives, I think, uh, with a lot of guys that have a lot of great experience. That it's going to come together pretty well,
0: and not a bunch of yes men either. I think. Yeah. You, I think Danny Iron, N- iron. and so does Jonesy. That Sharpie and, and John—they're they, kind of all in the same. General age group, and they—they, they, I think they won't hesitate to disagree and, and have great conversations, and, and that really leads to
2: good management. And I think they all played a different role as a player. Uh, John LeClaire is a multiple 50 goal scorer, power forward. Patrick Sharp was a finesse player and a highly competitive guy. We know about Danny, an undersized, highly skilled guy that had to create his own space sometimes with the stick, you know. And then you look at Jonesy, who played the game you know, in that model of an instigator and a real, writing a lot of checks that other people had to cash, right? (laughs) Chief, Uh, many many times. Yeah, exactly. And Dale Hunter and those (laughs) kind of guys around them. So I think the really interesting thing to me is you can't preach a linear message of a standard and accountability if it doesn't apply up and down throughout the hockey hockey side of the operation. And I think that there's a linear thing here with, Everybody being held accountable and a linear type message of, you know, we're going to do things the right way. We're going to be on the same page. And you you talk about character with players, you got to have character throughout your organization. And I'm not saying there wasn't character before, but that character's got to be in lockstep.
1: Well, a clue to that
2: came up in his press conference, Jonesy's introductory press
1: conference, that didn't go unnoticed but maybe underplayed. He made a point of bringing it back to the Ed Snyder legacy. He's very in tune to that, and this team can't get away from its history.
0: Now, there there is this uh, narrative out there, shall we say, that... uh a big part of the problem recently has been that uh, people from the past have had too much influence. Uh, I hadn't heard all, about that. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, Ron Hextall ran this team for several years without consulting those people, so it's, it's a false narrative. Second of all, it's way overblown. If Bob Clark or Bill Barber or Paul Holmgren have an opinion, why wouldn't you value it? It doesn't mean they're running the show anymore. I don't think any of them want to run the show anymore. Uh, would they? You know? Would they? If, if asked, give advice, of course. And what's wrong with that? These are great hockey people so uh, but that that is such a overblown if not completely false narrative uh, the flyer way I think it's great that all these these four people we just talked about have been flyers because they know what it's like here when things are going well they know yeah. what the culture needs to be yeah. which hasn't been the last couple of years so uh, they know where they need to get back to so I think it's a positive in, in all ways uh you know, I just think that, uh, that that narrative should just be put away.
1: All right, so the normal course of business in the NHL in the offseason is you wait until the Stanley Cup finals are over before teams start wheeling and dealing. <laughs> Danny
2: and, didn't get that memo,
1: apparently. Hey, <laughs> good for him, because Danny <laughs> makes not only his first move, but he made a splash with his first move. Let's talk about the return for Ivan yeah, Prover. It
3: was really kind of uh, remarkable from, from my standpoint. I remember the day it happened, the—, the trade details were texted to me, and I had to copy and paste them into a Word document and separate them so I could figure out what the heck happened, because yes. that's how complicated it was. Danny talked about this um, at a, a season ticket holder event, um, that that trade came together as you know the Columbus part of it, but one of the things he was so happy about was that it was such a group effort, because the analytics staff came in and ID'd an opportunity to bring in a third team to make it even more valuable for, for the Flyers. And that's really what happened. It was almost like two separate trades. It seemed like a three-way deal because LA took that salary back, but it was kind of two separate things. And you know the the fact that they were able to come in and get in on that game where You know, you're you're helping another team get salary cap relief in exchange for bringing in assets. That's the part of it that kind of made it more valuable, and that's where you get the defensive prospect, you get another second rounder next year. Um, You know, the fact that uh, it wasn't just you know, prove her off for a first or whatever, I mean, it, it makes it uh, even more beneficial to the organization's goal here moving forward, which is to, you know, bring in assets and, and, and try to set a new course. So, you know, it was certainly a very, uh, very unique one, and, and, and like you said, I think it's great that it happened early. Because it kind of just gets him going a little bit. And it's, you know, from what we've heard, it's opened the door for other conversations to come in about other guys. When
1: you pick up a goaltender in the deal, that's going to open you to questions about who could be on the table here. And I think Danny said, we're open for business. And a team that's where the Flyers are right now can't afford to have anybody that he won't listen
2: to offers from. You listen, and maybe Nobody, somebody wows you. Nobody's untouchable uh, at this point. Um, there's, I think you have buckets, though, as an organization of where you have guys, for lack of a better term. You have guys that you go, okay, we need to move on, and we need to you know, drive our, our, their value as best we can by getting multiple teams involved. I think you have guys you go, eh, we'll listen on them. But, and then there's other guys you know, that you don't want to move, but you're not saying you won't move. Because, and I think, like, obviously, Travis Konechny falls into that category. You know, you don't want to move a guy like DK, but you do recognize that his value is extremely high. And if some team's going to overpay you, you have to consider everything. So I, I think that that's normal. And it's a good position to be in. I think Danny has done a really good job with this deal in particular at doing something that's very difficult to do for a team that's rebuilding. Is he's been able to flip the, 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 the hand in dealing with other GMs, where it looked like you know, they were coming to the Flyers and they were going, hey, we're gonna take this guy off, but you're gonna have to do this for us. And it mm-hmm. wasn't gonna be a deal where you had the most leverage. He's managed to flip the leverage by a complicated deal You know, like Brian referred to, L.A. retaining 30%. You're getting Helgi Granz. You get the picks. You got the 22nd overall pick now. You recoup some assets in next year. And you look at all that, and he's managed to flip the leverage. We're open for business, but you got to come to us with something good because we're not just going to get – this is not a fire sale. We're not giving things away. We're not going pennies on the dollar. If you want to make a legitimate trade that's good for both teams, we'll listen but he's managed to flip that leverage really quick because I didn't think they had that leverage by the deadline and, and later in the season. So they've used the word rebuild, which we were maybe reluctant to use for a
1: little while there. And honestly, I think the fan base just wanted to know what's, the plan moving forward and is that what we're doing and once that became clear then I think it's easy to get behind there's a timing issue though right when you're trying to rebuild you got to look big picture and how you know like three four years down the road yeah that's
0: interesting this is where I I'm not quite sure I'm right with the plan yeah I, I still don't see how this team can't compete for a playoff spot next year now that's as currently constituted Carter Hart goes out of the mix with a healthy Couturier and Atkinson. Yeah, of course. There's <laughs> right. ifs. Um, so, uh, but the bottom line is to compete for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you're looking down the road. All right. Uh, if you get in the playoffs in the NHL, though, you're actually competing for the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. The last team to make the playoffs this year went to the finals. Right. And that's that's the way. and they
2: backed in by the way because Pittsburgh lost they on
0: did. April Chicago. 11th. Yes. To Chicago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I mean, it's. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like to close that door as much as some people are saying. Well, they're in rebuild, so they're not going to be in the playoffs next year. There's a lot of good young talent already on hand. I'm really interested to see if Forster takes a step and becomes a big player next year. Andre's interesting. Who knows if he becomes a part of this next year? Who knows if Cutter is here at the end of next year? I, I mean, there's all kinds of things out there. and We don't know how, where the team's going to be. There's more moves to come, as you said. So I guess to even make a conjecture that way is, is really stupid at this point in time. But I just don't like to close the door on they're, they're not even going to compete next year. This is not tanking. This is not they're going to trade everybody to be bad, to have another top five, seven, eight pick next year. This is, as Jason just said, the assets you currently have, if you can flip those assets to help your future, absolutely you mm-hmm. do that. But this is not a tanking situation like the Sixers did where the Flyers are going to try to be the worst in the league for three straight years and get you know, all these t- – they have four first-round picks in the next two years. As we stand right now, they've already been able to backload and, and, and gather those assets – um, and what, six picks in the first uh, four rounds mm-hmm. of a really good draft this year. So, I mean, they've already done a pretty good job of gathering assets. That's part of a rebuild. Uh, as you said, Travis Connect is 26 years old. That's basically league average. Uh, he's he's right in the middle of his prime, all-star caliber player. If someone wants to give you a whole bunch for him, you have to listen. That's Then mm-hmm. he's doing his job. But they're not going out and saying, Here's Travis connecting. Take him, yeah. And I feel like the last two or three years, the Flyers always. It felt like in terms of deals, they were always having to go the extra mile to make the deal happen. We, the ghost. Flyers had yeah. yep mm-hmm. ghost and, and it was so They the Flyers were having to add picks. To, yeah. And then you know if they were going to trade James Van Riems, like, they're going to have to add picks. I think those days are gone. Um, you know the picks are coming this way. Um, if and and I think Danny's shown in one trade that he can be so creative, and that creativity is a must in today's NHL. Yeah. The salary cap is complicated. It's been a flat cap. That's going to change too. But you know, flat cap is, has made it really tough to make deals. Danny's shown in his very first trade that he can be creative and get the job done. So that's why I think fans are really jumping in.
1: Smitty, he's right. Yeah. If the Cupboards were bare. This whole rebuild thing would be a little easier. You're you're not without some pretty good players right now. You get a healthy Couturier, mm-hmm. a healthy Cam Atkinson back. Um, some of the kids step up defensively. There's no reason this team can't compete for a playoff Yeah, spot. it is
3: not scorched earth. It's and that's something that Danny said all along. It's not a fire sale. It's not clear everything out. It's kind of readjusting, if you will, the orientation of where they're going. It's it is the cessation of bringing in, you know, cessation. Maybe that's <laughs> that's, 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 that's the that. cozy word of the Still day. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to be bringing in uh, you know veteran players that are maybe uh, at the end of their prime or you know that sort of thing to try to push the team into a playoff spot. That's right. that that whole thing is done. The other thing that I think you see in that in the Los Angeles part of the trade is something that Danny talked about um, when when he was hired, was promoted to the position, is undervalued assets. And that's something that if you look at what has happened to the Flyers over recent years, you've seen guys leave the organization and then jump into a better part of their career. Guys like Patrick Sharp. Um, Pat Maroon is another name that comes mm-hmm. to mind. And sometimes it's, None of this stuff happens in a vacuum. Sometimes like the kind of player that Pat Maroon became, I don't think he becomes that player if he doesn't leave Philadelphia. Right. It, it, is, it is so much more than just your performance on the ice. You know, It's a whole mindset and things like that. But coming back to Philadelphia in that L.A. trade, um, Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, a couple of guys that could benefit from a, a change in scenery. So if you're, if you're moving out pieces that have already been here, maybe need a change of scenery, then you have guys coming back in all of a sudden maybe, you know, Sean Walker becomes a lot better of a player than you thought you were getting because of that change of scenery. And that's what I think we saw it with Owen Tippett coming in from from Florida. So, you know, bringing in guys like that to kind of uh, give them another look, another chance, I think you're going to see them look for, you know, pieces like that that they can bring in in addition to the picks. And then, you know, if it doesn't work out, and they go yeah, separate it's low risk at the end of a contract. Yeah. If it does work out, all of a sudden you've got another piece you can build. So
1: up. let's kind of wind this up with uh, who do they have in those cupboards that is worth being excited about. Owen Tippett had a breakout year. Mm-hmm. Um, he had exactly the kind of year they were hoping for. Great St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Tyson Forster is yep. probably the next best yeah. forward prospect. Um, Emil Andre might be the unknown going to camp. And from all accounts down
3: at Lehigh, they were pretty impressed with him in a small sample Lappy loved him. I know when you see these guys come up, sometimes, Jason and I have talked about this, you see them come into an NHL game and there's usually, to me, three different things you see. You either see a guy that that struggles and his head's below water a little bit. You see a guy that's just kind of there. And then you see a guy that fits in like a glove, like he's ready. And that's what Tyson Forrester was—better at way. this level than he was. Yeah. at the Yeah, and, and they can and play with better players. players better, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't Noah Cates is a guy who we
0: kind of forget about, but he's going to be a very important piece if you're looking. At, you know, not everybody's a, a, a sharpshooter goal scorer. You got to have guys who shut other people down. Yep. And he did some things last year, including twice at even strength against Connor McDavid, where he played him almost as well as anybody. Um, that really show me. You know, he's one of those glue players you got to have. Morgan Frost took strides. Joel Farabee, where where are we with coming him? on the end? Yeah, if yep. he's going to have a year a good away off from that surgery, yeah. might get the yeah. real Joel Farabee and Cam York. I mean, that's a lot of good young talent we just talked about right, right. there. So there, as you say, the cupboard is not bare.
2: Joel, Joel Farabee scored 20 goals in 55 games in the shortened season. So let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. You know that that's a more than 30 goal pace, obviously. And when you have a surgery. In late June, mind you. When you have a surgery in April, it's tough because yeah. it disrupts your off season. When you have that next surgery in late June, yes. June 24th or 25th, I believe yeah. it was last yeah. year. And I mean, that's a tough one to come back with. They, they thought he wasn't coming back till Thanksgiving. He played all 82 last year. Right. And you started to see his game come around towards the end of the year. And then there's another guy, Sam Harrison, that we saw. Yeah, absolutely. It was very good. Uh, I think, you know, without Proveroff here, does. Cam York moved to the, his natural side on the left side. How does he handle that transition? So I think there's a lot of interesting questions. You know, Justin Braun retires. Sean Walker comes in. I think he fills that role. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- I think there's some some interesting elements to this team. And, you know, if you get Couturier back in Atkinson, that's a big if. It is. We understand that. You know, you're dealing with backs, if you know, it, intricate injuries. But the development of Frost in that second half, I mean, you saw a player – that finally unlocked his brain because he knows he can play at the NHL. Same thing with Tippett. You can tell when a player gets comfortable, not by the way they move on it, but their decision-making. And you saw the decision-making on those two players, and then you see Cates, and I thought, J.J., Cates in February, the two games against Edmonton, yeah. was an announcement to the league that he's a guy that's going to have to be dealt with when it comes to dealing with top players. He got Connor McDavid's attention. Yeah. yeah oh, he, did. he frustrated he, him. Yeah, some people a I lot. know Edmonton said
0: McDavid behind the Nobody seat. played him better. He said he's that's yep. about as tough as anybody's was. And, and how does he do it? He's not nearly
3: as fast, he's not as big. Positioning. <laughs> yeah. No. He's so smart and he's yep. thick. He's yep. got a great stick. And Always on the Stone right side. Like stick. It. Yep. That to me is the biggest silver lining from last season because if Sean Couturier plays last year, Noah Cates doesn't grow into the player that he did. There's, there's and no he'd be on the wing. Right. Yeah, he'd yeah. be on the wing. He'd be. Now he might end up wins. on the wing. I don't end up, I don't mind that. Yeah. By the way, yeah. Yeah. I mean you His can be a really good game will go up. Too.
2: Yeah. You can be a really good 200 foot player on the wing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark Stone is a guy that has been considered for a Selkie as a winger. I think it's been 23 years since a winger's won the Selkie, but it was Yuri Letnin in '98. I think. Think so. 1990s, yeah. um, so. And obviously, you know, Bob Ganey won, won a few. Um, nice. Just a couple. Yeah. So Should be the Gainey. award. You can be that player with defensive responsibility on the wing, but um, to have that kind of a player up front, and I think there's some more offense there, too. I think we started to see that at the end of the year. We did. Yep. Timmy, where you saw him, okay, I can start to re-engage there Knowing I'm a lot more comfortable defensively, he's smart you know. enough
1: not to let that come at the expense of what he Bingo. does well. So, a lot of guys won't, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. We said Danny Briere made a, an early splash with his first trade. Of course, we're going to the draft. Flyers have two first round picks, a lot can happen at the draft because oh. the GMs are
2: all together. So, oh, it's going to be electric. This remake, I'm so excited for it. Yeah, this <laughs> who, remake, who are they going to start? Who's your I, I think there's a couple variables. Obviously, yeah, Mishkov's the, va- the big one. Yeah, that's that's a, big. if he's
1: there, don't you have to take him?
2: If he's there at seven,
0: I I I, you I don't know, think the only he will thing be. I'm worried about there, I, and the Flyers clearly know about this, is the Russia factor. I mean, I, I'm not worried about the delay. No. I'm just talking about yeah. what's happened without He doesn't yeah, show up things. at all. Yeah, yeah the, the world isn't <laughs> and there's obviously
1: <laughs> Fedotov situation. There are yeah. signs there yeah. are signs with with the Russian that he's gonna maybe try to engineer where he wants to go because these players agreed to meet with teams in it's advance, and apparently yeah. he's yes. been a little elusive in wanting and, and, to do that. So Sergey
3: Fedorov is his agent, so he's got, you know, obviously <laughs> the NHL connections there. Um, you know, so it, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how far he he goes down to me. Um, uh, when he's I, I start with seven, Danny, he didn't yeah. seem like he'd be too afraid of He doesn't think he's going to be there, yeah. but... Having 22 yeah. makes it a lot easier for me to take him at seven if... Yeah. It be well it yeah. also to can, take a defenseman
2: could, well here's the seven there, there's the variable yeah JJ you know you're in this draft the top nine players are all forwards yep. Yep. and does a team like San Jose or does a team like Montreal do they go I'm gonna take the fifth or sixth best forward or am I going to take the number one ranked D man in Reinbacher, who's a right shot unicorn right am I going to take the number one ranked D or am I going to take the fifth or sixth best forward and that is is where, if that happens ahead of the Flyers, things could get right. very interesting.
0: Well, Mishkov, if, if some team really wants him and he's still available at 7, you better believe the Flyers are going to get
3: some offers. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. And there There's are
1: no that. guarantees, even though they go into the draft with the 7th and the 22nd pick right. overall, right. But that's the how that's it plays the out. Way it's right. gonna play that's it's going to play out. That's a lot of speculation,
3: is, like Detroit's at 9, I think, Yeah. and with their history over there, and obviously Fedorov being involved. You know, they, they, a lot of people see Detroit offering if he's there at seven or even above to try to get up in there. And well,
1: grab it's going to be a crazy few weeks. Is, yeah. Buckle up because uh, we're just getting started. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's our latest fun. broadcasters roundtable for Jason Martinez, Brian Smith, Jim Jackson. I'm Tim Saunders.
0: The preceding program is an original production of the Flyers Broadcast Network. You can find this and other programs available on demand at FlyersBroadcastNetwork.com.